Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. There we go. Glad you guys are with us. If you're online with us, thank you for joining in as well. It's, it's good to be here. Uh, good to be gathered in God's family together. And so uh, let's go ahead and dive on in. If you've got your Bible, let's go ahead and open up to Matthew uh, chapter 25. And this morning, we're going to look at the parable of the sheep and the goats. Now, as you're turning there, I think there's some significance to the, to the placement of, of the teaching and, and where Matthew puts this parable in. So this, this parable is one of the last teachings of Jesus as he enters into the Passover scene with his disciples. So some, some uh, biblical history of, of what's going on. Uh, this is right before Jesus would, would teach on the Last Supper. This is right before Jesus would be betrayed. It's right before he would be arrested, beaten, and then crucified. And so this is the very last words of Christ before all of these other events begin to unfold unfold where he will do some more teaching, but this kind of ends a segment of ministry for him. And I think it's very important for us to look at and see what exactly is Jesus talking about. Um, as we read it, this parable uh, unfolds a little bit differently than, than other parables. In fact, some people say that this isn't even a parable, it's just a teaching of Jesus, but there are some aspects of it that, that make it a parable. So, so to kind of what am I talking about? So as Jesus uh, begins to teach, he, he speaks in the reality of referring to himself as the Son of Man which in all the other parables that we've studied, Jesus begins at the very beginning with establishing that who he is as a character within the parable. But then he's going to switch over and he's going to refer to both uh, the, the shepherd and, and the king. And so when you see in here, Jesus is the son of man, Jesus is the shepherd, Jesus is the king, as, as it all goes forward and as he tells the parable. So let's start reading uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left." Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed 
into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so Jesus, as he begins this next stage of ministry, not only for him, but for his followers, is continuing to to lay the groundwork of communicating some hard truth for them as they're going to continue on in ministry without him. And what I mean by without him is without his physical presence there. So Jesus is about to go to the cross and die, and they're going to have that stretch of three-day period where they're without him, but then also into the ascension where Jesus will go and promise of the Holy Spirit and still be with his followers in spirit, but not be with them physically. And so again, it's this important message of the gospel. It's the important part of what I'm entrusting you with. And Jesus paints a picture that would be very common of the separating of the sheep and the goats to the group of disciples that are gathered there with him. And so what I want us to to look at within here is there's some harsh realities of truths that you and I, as we call ourselves believers, that we have to embrace within the gospel teaching of what the gospel calls us to. And then maybe even more important, what we reflect of the gospel. You know, there's a phrase that's used commonly, and it's applied to this passage of Scripture, that we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I want to say, I agree with that, but I believe that it's a partial truth and not the full truth of what we're called to be. That what we're called to be is the hands, the feet, and the mouth of Jesus. That what we carry with us, what we proclaim, and what we do should all fully embrace the gospel. And it's what we see come forward out of this passage of Scripture. So let's understand the gospel and then how that impacts us and what that causes in our life. So the first truth I think we want to we look at, which is going to uh, provide the umbrella of which uh, this message falls under, is this. That the gospel both unites and separates. The gospel both unites and separates. One of the common things that a lot of believers are are talking about, especially in the culture and the climate in which we currently live, is, is the unity of believers and the unity of the gospel. And that's true. The gospel does provide unity. But the full truth of the work of what the gospel does is the gospel both unites and the gospel separates. And it's what we see from the very beginning in verse 32. Jesus says, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So let's look at this. What does it mean that the gospel both equally unites and equally separates? First part, the gospel unites. Jesus' words, before him will be gathered all the 
nations. You see, there's a global work of God that's been going on since the very beginning that we as believers have to come and, and wrestle with and understand and work toward applying in our life. And Jesus doesn't back down from it in, in his teachings even before they knew uh, of the faith that would go and that would spread all across the world. And Jesus establishes right here. There's a beautiful work of the gospel that unites. Before him will be gathered all the nations. In, in Revelation chapter 7, in, in John's account of the throne room, as he begins to describe what that looks like, he's very specific, where he says, gathered before the king is every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. Jesus in Matthew 28, when he gives us the great commission, right, the call of all believers to go and to make disciples, he says that we're not just to make disciples here, we're not just to make disciples over there, we're not just to make disciples in our community, but that the work of the church is continually working and moving so that we make disciples of all nations. And the word used there for nations is the word ethne, to imply the ethnic groups. So you and I, when we begin to understand that the gospel is global, that the gospel unites every tribe, every nation, every tongue, we begin to understand the bigness of the call of the gospel. So you even look at one country in our world right now, the country of India. There are over 2,700 ethnic groups alone found in India. And so God in the Great Commission, Jesus here doesn't say, just take the gospel to India. Jesus says, take the gospel to 2,700 different ethnic groups in India. And the application of the gospel. Because God's heart, God's desire, God's plan is the gathering of all. And so we begin to look at this great, big, global work of what God is doing. And this morning I was able to pull up the statistics and look at it. That with, there's the one, within the 100 largest unreached people groups, the 100 largest unreached ethnic groups, there's 1.9 billion people, 25% of the world's population. So church, we got work to do. When standing for God, of what, how the gospel unites, about how the gospel brings in, about how the gospel has always been intended to be taken to people who don't look like us, who don't speak the same language that we do, that have different cultures than what we have, have different skin color than what we have, look differently, act differently, respond differently, but the gospel goes to them. What we see when we look at scripture is that the gospel sees and celebrates diversity. And it is the power of God displayed in that that unites. The world always wants to take people and divide them into their spot, put them in their box, give them their area, divide them into their space. And the work of God and the power of only the gospel says, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. We take all of those people who are different. We take all of those people who should be at conflict and what the gospel does is brings them together and turns them into family. It turns them into a people, God's people. So that where there once were peoples, there's now a people before one king, Jesus. And so the gospel unites, but another thing is the gospel separates. 
And, and Jesus tells us that he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now let's talk a little bit about being a shepherd, kind of a, a lost job profession in, in our world. But being a shepherd was a hard job. Being a, a shepherd was a dirty job. In fact, if you were a shepherd, that job was typically done from a distance. And you would have to take your flock away from town for, for a couple reasons. Number one, they, they smell bad. I don't know if you've ever been around massive groups of animals, but they typically don't smell too good, right? So the shepherds would go out from the town to the pastures in which their flocks would, would graze. But then also they had to go outside of the town to get the water and what they would need. And so here's why this is important. Shepherds, when we think of shepherds, at least when I do in the context in which I grew up, I picture a shepherd with a big flock of sheep around him, right? Like we think back to, the, to our old Sunday school classes and the pictures. We think about the Christmas narrative that's told to us and what we picture and what we think of. But the truth is most shepherds during the time of Jesus' day, it wouldn't just be sheep's. In fact, most of the time, it would be sheep and goats would all be a part of the flock together. So as the shepherd would move and navigate, he has some sheep, he has some goats, and the job of the shepherd was to keep them separate because of what they needed and how they responded to each other. But when most people would look out and look across and look down into the pasture and see from a distance, do you know what people couldn't do? They couldn't tell the difference between sheep and goats. Only the shepherd could. And I think it's an interesting part for us to be able to understand. We begin to understand that the gospel separates. That Jesus says there is this great unity, but there's going to also be a separation that is, that is placed in between. And who separates? Not the townspeople looking off. Not the people who are out on the side. But the shepherd himself separates. And so we begin to understand in this separation that exists that Jesus is both the means and the standard of the separation. That's why John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus speaking of himself says, I, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, that it all comes from who? Jesus. Not just his teaching, not the things that he does, but that all of them found within him that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life, and in that the gospel separates. There's an eternal weight that is placed within this passage of Scripture. This isn't a hypothetical situation that Jesus is laying out, but it's a situation that rings true for Scripture and that every single one of us will face. As we heard the two little kids on the end of the video, right, begin to argue, I am the sheep, I am the sheep, I am the sheep, I am the sheep. The reality is, within our world, within our life, there's only two choices. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. And that's determined by the king. It's determined by the gospel. So the gospel unites but the gospel also separates. So how do we respond in this as we read this situation that unfolds as Jesus shares with his disciples? And for us, I think what we have to come to is seeing others in, in light of the gospel. Seeing others in, in light of the gospel. 
So as we begin to see this story of what is happening, the, the, the separation happens. And Jesus says that the sheep will be on the right and, and the goats will, will be on the left. And what the sheep will enter into is the sheep will enter into an inheritance. The sheep will enter into the kingdom. The sheep will enter in before their heavenly king. But the goats, the goats will enter into punishment. Same situation, two different destinations. And so Jesus begins to speak of while one heads in one direction and the other heads in the other direction. And this continues to build on the narrative that we've been seeing in parables. Jesus speaks to their fruit. Jesus speaks to what is seen. Jesus speaks as to who they are. And so Jesus looks at the sheep and he says, look, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was naked, you cared for me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. So as the sheep are going in, they're excited to enter into the kingdom. And from back behind them, they can, they can hear the shepherd begin to say why they're headed in. And then an amazing thing happens. They're surprised. I think this is the part that we miss all too often in Scripture. They're surprised that they're entering in and for the reason of why the shepherd says they're going into the kingdom. And I think this speaks to the great humility of the redeemed life. It's not as they entered in and as what's being spoken about them as they begin to nod their heads and say, that's right, look at all of the things that I've done. But it's that in the humility of them, they're even surprised of the work that God has done in them. And the posturing and the positioning of their heart. And so they ask a profound question. When did we do this? Jesus, tell us, when did this happen? When did we see you this way? When did we know that this is who you were? And Jesus, very simply, Jesus in his kindness and his compassion says, as you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did also for me. But then there's the goats. And as they begin to enter in, Jesus begins to speak of their lack of fruit, of what they didn't do. Continuing to build on that this is who you are, that this is the transformation that takes place in your life. And Jesus says, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison, and you not one time cared for me. And their response was, but Jesus, if we would have known it was you, it would have been completely different. And you see the motivation of the fruit of their heart. It's not about what's been done to them that overflows on how they treat others. You see, the core of the heart of the teaching of the gospel shows us who we are, not only with Christ, but who we were before Christ. The more that I dig into God's word, the more I begin to understand how unworthy I am of him, of what the gospel reveals to me, that I was a desperate sinner worthy of death and death alone, but what God gave me 
was not what I deserved. But what God gave me was his grace. And it transforms us. The gospel transforms how we see ourselves. And then when the gospel, rightly applied to our lives, surrendered before God, it begins to change how we see others. And so there's a question that comes from this parable that a lot of people argue about. And the question is, when Jesus gives this parable, who's he talking about was served? Who are the least of these? Is it everybody? Is it all of the different people that I encounter, both saved and lost? Or is it just the saved people? So Jesus, what are you talking about when you say to the least of these? And I want to attempt this morning to answer that without answering it at all. All right, I think you'll understand what I'm saying in a second. The first thing that I want us to understand is it changes how we view the Imago Dei. And what I mean by the Imago Dei is everyone. It's the, 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 the truth rooted for us in Genesis, in creation, when God said that he made man in his image and in his likeness. The phrase in his image, in his likeness, is the Imago Dei. It's what all of mankind, regardless of language, regardless of skin tone, regardless of race, regardless of country, regardless of male or female, it's what all of mankind has been made in. And what the gospel does is the gospel changes the way that we view everyone by causing us to understand and realize that everyone is made in the Imago Dei, that everyone is made in the image of God. So when I see someone, regardless of what I see, regardless of what they do, regardless of what they say, they were an individual made in the image of God. Both the lost and the saved. In our world right now, I feel where we're being pushed toward is placing ourselves in camps. Identifying with a group that either think like us, speak like us, believe like us, or look like us. And in that, those are the group of people that we should be drawn to. Those are the group of people that we should care for. Those are the group of people that we should love. Those are the group of people that we should give grace. Those are the group of people that we should align ourselves with. The problem and the tension within that is it goes against what Scripture teaches us, that everyone is made in the image and the likeness of God so that when we go out and we love, when there's hunger, when there's thirst, when there's desperation, that we look at mankind as a whole and how we view others matters. Whether they're lost or saved, whether they're Republican or Democrat, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're black or white. Because of the Mago Day, there should be a burden in our hearts for all men, all women, and all children to hear, to see, and to have the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
there's no more diversity than in heaven. There's no more diversity than in heaven. How we view everyone matters. But it should also change this. How we view the family. Those of us who are saved. You know, it's an interesting thing when, when, when you look at Scripture. God could have referred to his group of people by many things. He could refer to them as a denomination. He could have referred to them as a religion. He could have referred to them as an organization or a nonprofit. But he didn't. That time and time and time again, the imagery and the picture of what we see in Scripture is that of the family. So that you're my brother and I'm your brother. So that you're my sister and I'm your brother. That all of us, regardless of our skin tone, regardless of our language, regardless of where we were born, regardless of how we voted, regardless of what we've done or what we will do, regardless of our education, regardless of our placement in society, that we are all family. Brothers and sisters in Christ before the heavenly Father. Not the CEO, not the manager, but before our heavenly Father. And I think right now, more so, my life has been brief so far, but I believe there's an opportunity for the church, for the family of God, to display themselves in such a capacity that glorifies him and draws people to him. That we have an opportunity that is, as Berger talked about at the very beginning of God's plan, that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the ugly, in the midst of the hatred, in the midst of the name calling, that we that we have an opportunity to reflect something different in the family that causes everyone else to not know and understand why they can hate me, but I just love them. And it gives us that moment in time. But the question that I have for us as a church, what kind of family are we displaying? What kind of family are we portraying? What are we living out in this world. I want to tell you all a story and we'll wrap up with this. Growing up, I had a, one of my best friends was a guy named Pat. Pat and I were best friends all through uh, elementary school and middle school. Pat would always come over to my house and spend the night. We played on the same baseball team together, Johnny's Recaps. My dad was our coach. I was the second baseman. He was the shortstop. He would come to my house, and we would just play baseball all day long. He'd come over Friday when we got out of school, and he would stay till after church on Sunday. And Pat was like a brother to me. I loved him. We're still uh, uh, friends to this day. Absolutely love Pat. Pat would spend the whole weekend at our house would eat meals with us, would watch TV with us. My parents were like his parents. My sister was like his sister. 
We know the beautiful thing about elementary age kids sometimes is we say things that everyone's thinking, but no one has yet said, right? And one day, Pat's at my house, and, and we're playing, and we're having a good time, and, and I remember this conversation. I said to him, I said, Pat, man, why don't you ever ask me to spend the night at your house? And he kind of sat there for a minute, and he said, man, he said, See, I don't know my dad. My dad's never been involved in my life. And I come here. And your dad takes us down to the gas station, buys us candy and, and drinks, and plays baseball with us in the front yard. He said, my mom, she's got her own problems and her own struggles. And she's not like your mom. He said, I don't know if my mom will be at home when I wake up in the morning. She doesn't cook for us. She doesn't do stuff. My mom would go out and play basketball with us and beat us most of the time. He said, my mom, she doesn't do that. He said, my house isn't, isn't like your house. We don't eat together. We don't watch TV together. We don't, we don't hang out together. And he said, but when I come to your house, y'all become my family. You see, what Pat experienced was a depth of love that he longed for. A depth of love that he craved and that he needed. There's people in this world that need to experience the love of Jesus Christ. A depth of love that as Christians, we say we know. We say we've experienced. We've even acknowledged that we've been called to share it with them. But the question I have for all of us, do we? Do we? You see, there's only two options. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. And Jesus is real clear. And I love the argument that happened between those two little kids. I'm one, no, I'm one, no, I'm one, no, I'm one. Now here's my hope. I hope we all are. I hope we all are. But it says that we gotta live like it. So are you a sheep? Are you a goat? Just pray with me. We come to you this morning, Lord, I thank you for your unfailing love for us. Lord, it is by your love and through your love only where we find life, where we find hope, we find purpose. Lord, if those are of us that are sheep, Lord, may we continue to be transformed by the gospel, to live our lives worthy of the name by which we've been saved. Lord, continuing 
to press into in difficult situations, in difficult relationships, grace and kindness. Lord, that we would understand that within us that the gospel is greater than our opinion and Lord, that the gospel maybe begin to shape and change our opinion. Lord, may we begin to understand what it looks like to love everyone and love the family of God. Lord, the beauty that would that is developed and matured and how that attracts and how that draws in and how people long to want to know you. Lord, convict our hearts. Capture us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One question for you. I just got one. We're all gonna walk out these doors. We're all gonna go to our lives. Monday is gonna come for all of us short of Jesus calling us back. As you leave here, will you leave a sheep or will you leave a goat? We'll stand as we worship him. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.